Hello and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. I always like to draw attention to games that do interesting things uh, when they release. And uh, this week, I've had my eye on, uh, it's not a new game per se, but um, have you ever played Steins Gate? I've never played Steins Gate. Tell me about it. Okay, so it's a visual novel that was released back on the PS Vita, maybe even before then, a long, long time ago. And it's a, <clears throat> kind of a time travel narrative, uh, but it became became popular. It spawned, you know, uh, sequels and an anime and everything. And one of the things I thought was really cool that I wanted to kind of call out was that uh, Spike Chunsoft, who is kind of one of the leaders of the uh, visual novel space right now, re-released steins gate but replaced all of the in-game graphics with like the corresponding scenes from the anime and so oh, wow as you are playing through the game and you get the little text box in the bottom and it's just like playing through steins gate again except you know you get these fully animated scenes behind it and they loop in appropriate ways so that you can read all of the uh you know anime is kind of um, probably easy to work with in that way because they try to keep I guess, visual clutter and movement to a minimum, <laughs> perhaps the necessity of, uh, of simplifying the animation process. And, um, but I don't know, just, I, I haven't uh, had a chance to uh, play it yet, but it seems like a cool idea to just like really play through a TV show in that way. Now, I think I saw what you're talking about on the eShop recently, but it was mm-hmm. something like 40 bucks. Uh, or maybe I'm way wrong on that. I thought it was the, um, Steinsgate elite is what they're calling it is, uh, I think they're, um, pitching it as a full price release. So $60, so 60, but yeah, so I saw it and I, okay. Yeah. Steinsgate elite. I was kind of like going from never hearing about it to totally taken aback. I was like, whoa, 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 what, what is this thing? And why is it 60 bucks? And then I just saw the screenshots and it just looked like, yeah, it looked like an anime. And I was like, maybe I don't understand what this is and I should stay away from it. <laughs> Though if you go to the, uh, anybody who's listening, if you go to the eShop uh, and check out the screenshots from Steins Gate, there is a man or woman that looks a little bit like me in a hat uh, on the very <laughs> last thumbnail. So I, kinda, I guess I kind of have to play Steinscape just I know to see. the character you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, very interesting. And you know what? Uh, speaking of Nintendo, I know we're, we're going to get to the pitches, but mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that Nintendo released the most Playwright. I don't know if you've got people listening to Playwright <laughs> over there or whatever, but... The most Playwright game oh, I've ever oh, yes, heard. of course. <laughs> in uh, Tetris 99. Mm-hmm. Feels like a, a Battle Royale Tetris seems like something that would have a high probability of making <laughs> an appearance on a Playwright episode. And I'm kind of surprised it hasn't already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm so glad it exists. Uh, I downloaded it. I plan on playing a lot of it even as soon as tonight. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Well, let's get into our pitches today. Maybe we can inspire the next big nso hit you know we can have a boggle royale or something i <laughs> love it uh, anyways i'm going to go first today and uh, what i have is an open world racing game that is all set in like a big dense city like a san francisco or something except 
you can draw your own route through the city, which, you know, that's kind of neat. You can choose what roads to go down, but you don't have to draw it in accordance to the roads that are already there. Basically, your cars can go up the sides of buildings and can drive up the sides of canyon faces and they basically can just do whatever, you know? It's kind of inspired by um, by Grip, which is kind of a spiritual successor to uh, Roll Cage, an old um, PlayStation racing game. And uh, yeah, so you can drive up the walls, you can do anything you want. And so basically, you can just draw a line through the city and you just race that line. No matter what's in your way, you can go over it, you can, I don't know, maybe burrow through it, but... Um, yeah, it's an open-world, city-based racing game that completely throws away any sense of realism. <laughs> so, we'll uh, start the clock there. You know, one of the things I've been playing lately is Crackdown 3, and despite the mixed reviews, I've really been enjoying my time with it. And in that game, they have the agency vehicle can start to drive up sides of buildings. Oh, nice. But it, it drives... <laughs> seasonally appropriate. <laughs> exactly. So, But it drives pretty poorly and slowly up the sides of buildings. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but think that, yeah, if you want to kind of draw a line through the city with a distinct endpoint, uh, you could potentially, if there's a penalty to driving up buildings, try to take the sort of way of the bird approach to beat your Mm -hmm. opponents to the finish line if you kind of have the any verticality to your uh to your arsenal i mean it does give you more choices as to where to go i don't know you know maybe there would be some point a to b races just get to this point in the fastest way that you can think to do that i really enjoy those types of races in games i think Huh, I might might be mistaken on this. I think the Forza Horizon games have stuff like that. I think LA Rush, I remember having, you know, uh. usually in those types of like long distance races, they have like checkpoints along the way that you have to pass through to make sure that people are at least like adhering to some sort of a route. Yeah. But I like when it's just kind of wide open, find the fastest yeah. way to get there. You know, it's like um, get the best taxi rating or something. Yeah, Forza has a lot of time challenges uh, that kind of let you cut through anything mm. as well. Um, yeah, I like that idea. And I like the idea of kind of having that Google Maps-ish interface where I don't know if anybody's ever like gone and done directions on Google Maps on their computer, their desktop or laptop. You can kind of, if you set directions, you can kind of take a section of the path and tug it to the left or right and you will watch the mm. Google do its very best to kind of snap to roads as well. So you could kind of have, if you use like a switch touchscreen or something, or you even just did like gestures with the mouse, you could like draw out a path and it first attempts to sort of snap to the roads in the city automatically. Uh, and even then you could like take a section of it and say, no, you can, you're going to have to somehow get through this public park <laughs> to get to the other side. Even if um, even if going up the sides of buildings was a choice, I, I would want some tracks that are, you know, that do put up the walls in the side. When you select your route, then you have to race in a very tight track and uh, you have to go up the sides of buildings. And, you know, I just want to see how that affects the physics of the racing and other racers trying to bat each other off the buildings and all of a sudden like depending on where you are in the buildings then you can have a i don't know just a a different feel to the the race the grippiness 
Um, I think it was one of the Extreme G. Well, no, you know what? I'm doubting myself now. I keep on getting the classic Extreme G and Wipeout games mixed up. And I'm I'm thinking it's Wipeout, one of the Wipeout games where you had a like a magnet on the bottom of your car that you can toggle on and oh. off. And that would allow you to go upside down. And then if you release that button, you would fall, you know, just whenever what uh, way that uh, gravity takes you. And so maybe it is something that you have to kind of manually um, adjust on the go that you you uh, move slower when you are using your magnet or maybe you have less grip and traction or something. There's some sort of a trade off. And uh, so if you forget to use your magnet when uh, when you well, if you if you keep using your magnet when you're not supposed to, then there's some sort of a negative side effect. Maybe if you um, have enough velocity while you're going up a 90 degree surface, then uh, you can release the magnet and you can get some extra speed. But any little nudge is going to send you flying off in the opposite direction and really mess you up. And so there's kind of a risk reward there as well. I like the idea too. if we're going to sort of err on the side of some level of absurdity. One of the things that I don't feel any like Forza Horizon gives you a lot of freedom to kind of drive anywhere. But one of the things that pretty restrictive of actually is driving in any sort of city slash populated environment. Nothing really feels like uh, one of those sort of burnout worlds with a lot of like buildings all over the place. Yeah. I, I would really love to see a racing game do silly stuff like if you smash through a, an auto tuner shop, you're a different <laughs> color and you've got neon lights on you for a part of the race. And that's always just like whatever the latest place you smashed into gives you like a random look to your same vehicle or Maybe even if you like smash through a clothing store or like, a, you know, sort of a, a bookstore, you get like pages that fly into your windshield. And so it's almost <laughs> like the, the Mario Kart ink splat on your windshield for a certain period of time. So you kind of make the environment fun, different modifications. So if you do go that off-road route, you potentially, you know, you show up to the finish line looking totally different or having <laughs> overcome different fun obstacles. I like that. I liked in um, Burnout, the Burnout games, obviously they do a lot of damage tracking on the vehicles. Um, I think they were kind of empowered by the fact that they were not licensing real vehicles, which have restrictions on how much you can really mess them up during a race. And so, you know, you could crash up the car and you can see it bend and break in all sorts of satisfying ways. And sometimes the damage would stick with you throughout the entire race. And so having having that kind of persistent damage, but not necessarily always in a negative way. Maybe you can, maybe there's ways that you can uh, add items to your uh, crashing through a tree might give you a bird's nest or something on the top of your car. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe there's some way that you can collect things throughout the race that can give you kind of like in Mario party, how you can collect certain items that give you a boost at the end. And so, you know, once you, once you've all finished the race and it looks like the victor has already been determined, maybe there's some way to kind of push up the ranks after the race is finished. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. By the way, I think I know somebody who might be available to do the VO. His name is DJ Atomica. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the last remaining human in the world overcome by sentient cars. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
I, I like the idea, too, if you like set different challenges in your races that you draw, like, OK, you have to make it to the finish line, but you have to do so with like less than a certain percentage damage on your vehicle. Mm-hmm. I think like Forza has different challenges like that. Let's say you do the um, you, you know, can there'll be car mechanic shops that if you smash through or drive through one of those. Um, it slows you down for a second, but repairs all your cosmetic damage. So you kind of have to get to the end, but look good at the same time. That kind, that kind of stuff could be a fun way. Do you see it as all like player design stuff, or do you think that there's like authoring to be done here? I mean, I think for, um, I think that the game has to come with a pretty substantial sandbox for you to play in already, uh, and you know, I think there would be a series of developer developed at the clumsy sentence, uh, races. Um, but, um, yeah, just kind of giving everyone the ability to draw a line through the middle of the city and say, race this, see how this goes. Uh, That's great. Kind of empowering to the community. I also like the idea. I know open world racing games are more and more the norm in a lot of these big budget racing games, but I would be fine with like, multiple smaller cities if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense like i love the idea especially if you're gonna go really kind of crazy with it rocket league comes to mind and you do like Mm a a medieval city and you do the you know sci-fi city and you do all these kind of crazy settings and yeah you can keep the same standardized buildings but maybe each one features different stuff you can you know clip into a building that makes your car a flying car in the future one and you can clip into an armory and get like armor on your car in the medieval one and the idea of the sort of different themes and but like i think one of the things about real open world games maybe this is the point but i find myself experiencing this in forza all the time which is there's so much to it and it's all so samey don't really learn any of the tracks as like tracks in my head so i i'm always relying on sort of arrows and barriers to kind of point me in the right direction or my little mini map um whereas if you control the spaces i think like no matter what the course that's drawn is you could have good adjectives to say oh we're going through the bridge and around the castle and all that sort of stuff so you're you know Mm -hmm. you can kind of develop a, a shared language with the players well, we've run out of time on that one. I think there's uh, there's more to explore, as always, but let's close it down. And um, let's call it, well, I think drive-through might be a way to describe this, because you are driving the most direct route through the city, and that is kind of a pun on a phrase that already exists. <laughs> Why not? All right, cool. Well, um, that'll be a surprise to anyone who read the uh, the name of the episode first and was expecting a completely different type of game. <laughs> Don't know. You always have to listen to the whole episode to find out all the good stuff. Absolutely. So what are you bringing us today? I'm bringing you something a little dark today, but uh, I want to <laughs> okay. see if we can, uh, we can figure something out here that's fun. The Hitman games are really compelling to me, and I have been thinking about them of what if you smashed a Hitman game up against something like Risk. And I think we maybe talked about something like this before, but this would be kind of a Hitman game or maybe even a Splinter Cell-esque game where there's a global map. Uh, Maybe it's a fictional globe, so it doesn't have to be too close to home. Uh, And you can go around to different sort of countries or cities and you're trying to 
uh, take on missions uh, that destabilize governments, mm. essentially. Um, and so you have to go to areas and you have a, an array of missions to pick from, potentially. And of those missions, each of them take a certain amount of time. And so essentially, whenever you destabilize or successfully um, do some level of damage to a government, it takes them a certain amount of time to recover. And what you want to do is try and plot your way through the map to do the most lasting damage to enough regions so that an entire region sort of collapses um, a la an island in, into the breach, mm. and then you can kind of move on to a whole area until I guess I don't know, global anarchy or something. So that's the pitch. Interesting. Let's start the clock. So am I to uh, understand that you are playing an assassin pretty much or are you just somebody who's kind of causing just enough general public havoc that it ends <laughs> up destabilizing an entire country that's a good question i i know that most games that try to do the sort of jack of all trades master of none um usually end up in that exact place but uh, the gameplay i'm actually thinking could range anything from a hitman-y, assassin-y, you know, sneak in and kill the prime minister all the way to maybe like a ghost recon wildlands, potentially, where you're out in open fields or you're on maybe even fronts of war, right? Like you're mm -hmm. potentially opting yourself into explicitly combat missions and you're just trying to tip the war in favor of one country or another and the the outcome is truly undetermined you're you know <laughs> literally either one can win and whoever you side with will probably be the one so you're trying to kind of decide who wins where to push entire sections into collapse this is interesting i mean i think that uh i think you're on to something here because the hitman reboots are kind of branding themselves the world of assassination they take place in these kind of various um, exotic spots around the globe. And, you know, this kind of globe-trotting nature of uh, Agent 47 and his various uh, hitman exploits is uh, part of the appeal, getting these really diverse environments. And so if you were able to kind of pick on the globe various spots to drop, then that would be, uh, that'd be really exciting. I think we are introducing an impossible project for a single team to complete. <laughs> if we yeah. could find a cool way to make to make Hitman style levels, you know, able to be procedurally generated and to have like interesting uh, assassination methods without really kind of like dumbing down the because one of the nice things about Hitman is like every level is like so, so smartly designed that I don't know. I have a hard time seeing a computer doing that to the same uh, efficiency and uh, effectiveness as human designers spending months and months and months on each level would. That's a good question. So it might have to end up being a little bit genericized in a sense of when we go to play your destinies or your, mm -hmm. <laughs> it seems like the anthems will follow the same route in the world where there's really kind of maybe five to seven core types of missions and even the variety within them is not that diverse. I think if you could come up with a, a decent approximation of Hitman with maybe a little bit less, uh, you know, play through the level in 40 ways sort of mm -hmm. design. And 
you also had decent kind of action shooting, maybe you could could treat it in such a way that the game could start stealthily and as you like if you're truly bad at the stealth and things start to break down like the map itself slowly becomes more and more war focused and you're kind of unable to access stealth Mm. missions or even the other way around of like you cause so much war chaos that the really the only way to get anything done is these sort of surgical missions but yeah it's a good question i as i play through something like ghost recon wildlands i'm struck with these people have to be doing serious damage to the like entire infrastructure of a country, but nobody seems to be commenting on it that much. Okay. Well, I guess we can pitch this as kind of a ghost recons wildlands or yeah, essentially kind of a war shooter, but maybe set in a city type of environment. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it could I, be, it, yeah. I mean, hmm. again, if we use the, the previous pitch, if you do multiple small maps instead of one of these, I know, Everyone's mm-hmm. bragging about the size of their open world, but really I like dense and smaller and more interesting yeah. open worlds. If we can find a way to proceduralize things, we don't need something as clever as a Hitman level. This is because uh, there's multiple ways to skin a cat in this case, but uh, if if we create essentially a palace or a you know ambassador building or whatever it is, uh, center of government for each of these countries um, and kind of program in like what a government building would look like in that area, maybe some surrounding areas on the outside. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe generating a large number of these wouldn't be impossible. And so sort of the mission type that you, you go in, maybe there's some sort of mission clock associated with things. And actually, as you take more time in a mission, you almost have that sort of inception or uh not inception but um oh yeah i guess kind of inception but it's also an interstellar i guess the chris nolan effect we can call it at this point (laughs) where um spending a certain amount of time in a mission translates to a certain amount of real world time will pass so you're a little bit more incentivized to kind of focus region by region sort of tick things off the map there and maybe Focusing on a region is what requires you to do a variety of things instead of going, you know what, I'm going to go through the map and go all the stealth missions and then I don't really want to play this game anymore. You kind of have to do the loop of, okay, you need to absorb all the different mission types and hopefully they're all interesting enough to like keep you moving forward. What do you think the map interaction could be, if anything? You mean the individual maps or like the world map? I mean like the world map. Like mm. do we see <laughs> I know it's like easy to think of the world map as maybe an exotic checklist, but I love the idea of that that sort of world kind of reclaiming itself or something. Yeah, well, you know, you can think of uh maybe the world is composed of these warring powers that are all kind of itching to get into you know, the uh or, or like a, that kind of thing you see a lot in uh, medieval literature. There's these, these warring families that, you know, any chance that they, uh, any little bit of weakness that they see in one of the opposing families, they'll swoop in and try to take whatever kind of land they can get or influence or assassinate the leaders or something. And so everyone is just kind of like itching at the trigger, waiting to um, get any hole in the defenses. And so when you go in, and destabilize things. You can start to see the borders move, or you can see one group getting powerful at the expense of another. 
Um, maybe these uh, countries will invade each other or, uh, you know, you're just kind of a, a spark in a powder keg. Yeah. And you know what, if you concentrated this in and maybe not even a world map, but like a, a region map of just, you know, five to six adjacent countries, if the troops and the behaviors of the, of the sort of AI and the NPCs are, are differentiated enough then what you could essentially do is as you kind of eliminate factions and the other factions grow instead of instead of there being sort of a vacuum and you've checked that place off the map you are expanding the borders of the remaining enemies right so you get that sort of highlander mm -hmm. effect of the people who are left over are like even stronger than they would be before so really to eliminate everyone you're dealing with that ever increasing arsenal of uh, of enemy you know this kind of balancing of uh, of your friends at the time, but you don't want your friends to grow too powerful because you never know if you're going to have to turn on them eventually. Um, you're just kind of a mercenary floating between countries and and um, trying to keep balance or trying to obliterate all world governments and just lead to an anarchic state. Uh, maybe we can kind of leave that up to the player. Yeah, that's cool. the The idea of you eliminating all governments and then having to eliminate the last government—it uh, <laughs> <laughs> feels a little bit. Um, maybe this is just all coming from Crackdown. Like you're working for the agency, and guess what? The mm -hmm. agency's really the bad guy, which is, inconsequentially is ignored in that third game. So <laughs> I don't know how they, or at least it is thus far. Um, it mm -hmm. seems like it's. Not a well thought out sequel to that game. It's the impression I've been getting. Well, let's close down the um, close down the borders. Oh, jeez, <laughs> and come up with a name for this globe trotting assassination game. Uh, world of no, just um, hmm. There's a video game called like Anarchy Reigns, isn't there, or something? Yep. Yeah, it's a uh, third person brawler. Uh, that was a. Loose sequel to Mad World. Wow. Okay. Um, it had Bayonetta in it as well. Really? <laughs> wow. Ah, H, respect for the, the deep video game knowledge. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of something that would like mass appeal, sell to the, you know, the shooter fans who would potentially be into this. Maybe it's like Operation Anarchy or something like that. That sounds like it has to be taken as well, but. You call this World of Crafting More. <laughs> world of crafting war that is pretty terrible um so sure <laughs> it's a bad pun <laughs> it's it's your loosest pun yet we will say that for sure <laughs> keep it a loose all right <laughs> well uh let's go on over to the community then <laughs> on that note and see what we have in our jolly old inbox well not a lot today and we encourage everyone to write into us at uh, playwrightcast at gmail.com or to uh, go to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch to throw their own ideas onto the board. And we'll read those in future shows. But today we have to settle for reading our spam emails. <sighs> so what we got today was, um, I, I think it's a very interesting email. Uh, it's a phishing email, which means that they're just trying to uh, scam us for our password and identity online. Um, but it's uh, composed in a very uh, interesting and strange way. So this is posing as the Royal Bank of Canada mm -hmm. that is uh, sending us an alert 
that our account has been flagged and placed on temporary hold. Now, one of the the things that um, phishing emails often get cited for is having email addresses that are very similar but are very obviously distinct from the URLs that the official email would come from. So if this was the Royal Bank of Canada, presumably rbc.com, then you would get something like rbc-info.com and, uh, you know, something like that. And so I want to say, before we continue, you're giving a very good explanation to people about how phishing scams work. This is like great education for the playwright listeners. Don't click on anything that you're not completely sure of everybody. <laughs> and that's right. And so to uh, to try to avoid that, uh, that fishy URL tip off, uh, they wanted to go with the, with the URL that we all know and trust. And so they sent this email as an invitation through Eventbrite. So, Classic. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I guess the uh, Royal Bank of Canada is inviting us to an event at which we will be getting our account access back after uh, back after it's been placed on a temporary hold. <laughs> so um, I'm really curious to hear what type of event this uh, they're planning for us, and um, I'm uh, curious to see if we can turn this whole winding process into a video game. So uh, with that said, let's go ahead and start the clock. I like the <laughs> idea of of having control of accounts and mm-hmm. like money accounts. I mean, people know that I love stupid sim games at this point, but the the idea of like bank simulator or something like that is kind of fun here to me. Now, what if uh, what if you're on the other end of it and you're the person that's getting scammed or maybe maybe you're in a world where you have to actually go somewhere in person to validate anything over email? You know, we don't have the um, typical type of uh, account verification by answering what was the name of your first dog or what was your mother's maiden name or something like that. I'm thinking back to there's a PlayStation game from 1999 called Incredible Crisis. Do you know this one at all, Q? No, Incredible Crisis. It's a, a Japanese game. It's a really weird one where basically you play as just this like normal Japanese salary man who's just having like an incredibly bad day. Okay. And as you're going through your day, you just have to play various mini games. Um, like he uh, he gets into an elevator and it's uh, it it breaks and falls, you know, it goes into a free fall. And so you have to hit the stop button enough to get it to stop while dodging things that are falling in from the ceiling. And, um, you know, then you get a, then you get injured somehow in like a car accident and you are being wheeled on a gurney into the ambulance, but the gurney goes out of control and you have to like steer the gurney down the streets to avoid (laughs) potholes and stuff. And so basically it's just this really cartoony adventure of this guy who's just having a a terrible day. And it's just these situational comedy type of um, type of things. And so I wonder if, if there's um, something like that, that we can uh, do for cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. So somebody who is just like, tripping through their their windows 95 computer and like encountering all the strange bugs and errors that that operating system could contain i mean maybe you're a 
virtual representation of a real person like you would see in the reboot TV show, or maybe you are a person that's going to an actual event to try to recover your email data or something. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. I cannot believe that you just talked about the TV show reboot that I haven't (laughs) thought about that in so long. It's so good. Um, (laughs) The... (laughs) Yeah, like you could actually like some mini games are walking around in the virtual realm dodging e-worms and e-viruses. Mm-hmm. Um you're in like different AOL like keyword <laughs> boards and stuff and you can download weird game demos. Just the idea of like simulating that environment cuz the phishing suggests like an attack of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like I like the idea of something in this game being trying to pose as an official from a company or something or trying to um, pretend that you're an individual that potentially so you're not. get back to Hitman. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, the, the idea of... So I've always had this game in my head. I, I hope it's loosely related to this because I think it is. The, the idea of what if there was a game where you were given access to all of somebody's social media profiles hmm. for some period of time. And then you went on a quiz show where you had to answer questions as though you were that person. <laughs> as though you were that person. That's interesting because, you know, it's not questions about that person. It's not reading comprehension. It is how would this individual answer what is the capital of <laughs> Panama? Exactly. Yeah, totally. So, um, like, can you glean the person's tone or whatever then in their their mannerisms and stuff through their social media, essentially? Okay. Yeah, I I don't know if there's some version of that for this uh, that would make sense. Yeah, that's what my mind is thinking about actually posing as somebody from the RBC um, and how I would do that, how I would pull that off in a game. I wonder if there's... I wonder if there's a game in being a scam artist, because I don't think that I've ever really seen that before. There's lots of games of you being deceptive, but, you know, really being one of the snake oil salesmen or really trying to trick people, you know, maybe games aren't complex enough in the inputs that they really allow you to, uh, to input and, uh, and they can react to, to make that interesting. But, um, I don't know. It is kind of a, blind spot that I've never seen before. So I'm reading this line in the email right now. We understand your privacy is important to you. That is why privacy is important to us. (laughs) Um, Occasionally on Twitter, people will do a challenge where they are asked to start phrases and then finish them with whatever auto-completes on their keyboard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm wondering if you could do something that was that sort of Dark Soulsian, Bloodbornean note system where you have to mm. compile phishing emails out of the like very strange phrases you get. So you're actually creating these weird broken English emails. Maybe it's a game that takes place in a browser-ish type window, or maybe you can call upon uh, your email browser to give you a bonus of income or something. And so, you know, there's is some something that would make players go into their email and try to fish out some sort of bonuses. You are able to send phishing emails to people using some sort of a rudimentary, maybe there's some reason, some constraint 
as to why they all have weirdly awful grammar. Um, and so, you know, if you respond to, or if you click on a link in a real email, then you get some sort of a bonus. But if somebody has tricked you, um, by a clever phishing email made under extreme constraints, then, uh, then maybe, maybe they get points and you get points taken away. I don't know. There might be something there. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm almost thinking at this point, like, is are we in like total literal land? And what we should be doing is having some sort of weird abstract email creator. And then mm-hmm. that be that ends up as a little like you crumple it up into a ball, hook it up to a fishing line and literally go fishing with it. Okay. <laughs> and you're what trying would you be to fishing get, for. Yeah, you would you would be catching fish in an ocean, but as you picked up fish in the ocean, like you would essentially hook different types of people. Hmm. And like the idea would be to hook the people with like the best income. <laughs> so you're like, okay. oh, I got a Martha. Martha is, you know, makes $200,000 a year in San Francisco, but okay. doesn't know any yeah. of her own passwords. <laughs> so, uh, I got her successfully with this particular uh, email <laughs> I crafted and went fishing with. So we can say this is the type of game, like a like a job simulator type game, like um, not like a job simulator specifically, but one of those like papers, please, where you have to go in and do a task every day and get paid for that task. And so your job as a fisherman, a fisher of men, as Jesus would say, <laughs> uh, to try to scam random people, kind of personified and uh, metaphorically presented as fishes. And uh, every day before you go to work, you can read the newspaper, see what's happening in the world. And you can choose a series of keywords um, to populate this note. And, um, you know, kind of in the same way that uh, uh, Doki Doki Literature Club lets you compose poems, so to speak, by picking keywords from a list. And based on the keywords that you would choose, they would appeal to certain characters and not appeal to others. Um, based on certain tags and something. So maybe based on your reading of the newspaper and your understanding of what's going on in the world and maybe the tensions that exist in society day to day and the things that are happening, you would attract different types of people. And so you're always trying to land the biggest fish with the uh, emails that you write. I like that. And I even like, I know you were talking about metaphor here, but I'm fine if the fish are kind of the Katamari Damasi style, like people, the weird little (laughs) stick people who are actually hooked on and are wearing like nice suits and ties and (laughs) and lovely pantsuits and dresses and all sorts of stuff. Although it would be fun to visually code actual fishes in uh, yes. various stratas of wealth as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice hats, like a fish with like a smartphone. Yeah, the that's monocle. all very yeah. good too. <laughs> the monocle fish, classic. But why Why is, that feels like, like a classic fish to me, like in fiction. Is there a fish with a monocle? There, there must be. It, on like a tuna can or mm. something like that, like. Maybe in a SpongeBob episode at some point. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, now that's probably exactly where it is. I'm thinking <laughs> of the star-kissed tuna fish that I think he wears. Oh, okay. Glasses potentially. He looks a little working class, you know. Yeah, he's, he's here to say, like, 
He's got a beret or something strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the Starkist, the the chunk light tuna guy. He's he's for sure somebody <laughs> that you could you could scam with an email. He just looks ready to click on his password reset that you sent him. He's very cautious, you know. They call him the chicken of the sea. So, <laughs> anyways, let's close it down uh, before we uh, before we descend into complete anarchy. <laughs> Uh, that uh, I don't know. Pitch. You may have just also named the game with that one. <laughs> Chicken of the Sea? <laughs> uh, potentially. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that seems reasonable. <laughs> or Clicking of the Sea. I feel like that's a pun on a pun. I don't know. That's taking Click, a little step Clicking of the Sea? You could do hook, line, and sink her. Uh-huh. Hook, Gross. line, and stinker because, you Hook, know. Hook, line, and stinker because that's how good my last Everyone's a real was. stinker when they're writing these emails. <laughs> yeah chicken of the sea is pretty good okay well we'd like to um to graciously thank the royal bank of canada for submitting that pitch today and uh you know what maybe we will attend this event to um to get our canadian banking account back because i don't know i didn't know that i had a great sum of uh of money invested in canada but maybe i'm like harry potter and i've got some sort of absurdly rich parents uh, up in uh, Canada that I don't know about. I think Canada is kind of like their real world equiv- equivalent of the wizarding world. So, Well, I put in all of our info. I clicked on it and kind of got all the stuff. So I think, oh, I good. mean, I didn't get any confirmation, but I assume our password is reset and our account's ready to, to go. Good, good. Well, uh, anyways, uh, we would like to encourage all of the real people in our audience to um, please do write in because we are running dangerously low at this point. Send your pitches. <laughs> it is playwrightcast at gmail.com, playwrightcast.com slash pitch, and at playwrightcast on Twitter. That's right. And remember, if you're a first-time listener, you're just joining us, it doesn't have to be a huge pitch. It can just be a, what if you smash these two games together? What would happen? We're always interested in exploring stuff like that. In fact, a lot of our end show pitches, for me at Mm -hmm. least, always become something like that. So, yeah, just small stuff works. Cool. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. It's very good, and you should go listen to it. And while you're doing that, why don't you head over to CaneandRinse.com. That's our podcasting network where there's great shows like the Cane and Rinse podcast, Sound of Play with Mr. H over here, mm-hmm. The Sausage Factory, which is a really great interview show with video game developers. Find out stories behind how some great games are made. Um, I think... Uh, Team Jolly Roger was on a, a recent episode, which is really cool. And so those are all really good. You should go listen to them while you're, of course, thinking up video game ideas. Maybe you take some of those games that you hear reviewed and behind the scenes of, and you're like, what if we mix these up? That's what Playwright's for. <laughs> there we go. Get in that developer mindset. That's the way to, that's the way to do it. Right. To take us out of the show today, I'm going to deliver a miniature pitch and what I have is a uh, team deathmatch game um, that is Beatniks versus Werewolves. <laughs> Perfect. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.